0: It's Not About the Bunny, a podcast about Twin Peaks, one in which we talk about Twin Peaks and what we like about it.
1: That's about it.
0: I'm Caroline. And I'm Brian. (laughs) Uh, We're discussing episode four of season two. I thought this one was good.
1: I also liked it.
0: Yeah. Um, It still has some of the season two stuff that's a little bit much the Lucy-Andy drama with Dick Tremaine. Uh, Harold Smith is always a lot to take, but I think for the most part, that stuff was in the background and pretty well done when it was there. Uh, and the good stuff, you know, outweighed it.
1: You know, we came in hot talking about the last episode. Yeah.
0: I feel bad about it. I
1: don't now. know what it is. Maybe I was just in a more receptive mood or mm-hmm. maybe it's just that the last episode had already reset my expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I like this episode a lot. Mm-hmm. and I don't know if I would call it one of the classic twin Peaks, but I sure. thought uh, even the some of those plot lines you mentioned, I, I liked I liked them in this episode. I was yeah. amused by Andy and his sperms. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah. I didn't to me there was a, it wasn't quite as jarring to go between the different storylines this time around. Mm-hmm. It was a lot smoother to me and maybe maybe a little bit of that is because the highs aren't as high here. Yeah. but I, I was really satisfied by this episode and mm-hmm. I think a lot of credit goes to Tom Holland.
0: Yeah, he did a really good job.
1: Yeah, I thought the way that the scenes uh, were filmed and blocked. Very dynamic and uh and uh, alive. And the uh, I was looking at the uh history of production for this episode, and mm-hmm. it had a difficult uh history, uh, mainly with writing it. Yeah, so I got this information from Film School Rejects. So, the original writer who was assigned to turn in a draft was Jerry Stahl,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who was in the middle of Ah, debilitating heroin addiction. Oh God! Uh, to the point that around this time, he was uh, actually uh, leaving meetings to mm-hmm. shoot up in the bathroom.
0: Oh man!
1: So according, according to Mark Frost, what he turned in was garbage. Yeah. He turned it in two days late, and it was
0: and it was basically unusable. Mark Frost
1: literally said there were blood stains on the script. Oh
0: my God! Oh.
1: So uh, I think Jerry Seinfeld is better now.
0: That's good.
1: He uh, he wrote. Or there was a movie about him starring Ben Stiller called...
0: Oh, yeah. I remember hearing about this. Right.
1: Uh, But he wasn't doing so well at the time. So that's why there are uh, so many co-writers credited. Mm,
0: That makes sense.
1: So after he turned the script, they had to get in Frost and Ingalls and Peyton to finish it up. Yeah. The ringers. And I... uh, I also saw that Jerry Stahl went on to work for a uh, northern exposure
0: hmm that's interesting and
1: it just it made me wonder is there any chance that um jt dolan from the sopranos <laughs> was based on Jerry Stahl
0: that's a really interesting but idea i
1: I'm not sure it wouldn't if, shock me that David chase was Working on Northern Exposure at that time, hmm. but I don't know.
0: Yeah, they, it wouldn't shock me.
1: Anyway, this isn't a Sopranos podcast.
0: No, that that comes next.
1: There's only one Sopranos podcast, but uh, yes, the you know it was a difficult process, but I actually didn't detect that really. Um, the only thing that was odd, I think, in the writing was they uh, Cooper notices Andy's shoes, mm-hmm. Nassim. Where did you where did you get those shoes? Yeah, and he says, "Oh, it was um, Philip Gerard." Philip Gerard, yeah. And Cooper's like, "Oh, we have to look into Philip Gerard." Well, and they already knew it, that, right? They already that. So they're like, "It's like a new clue for information we already had, basically."
0: Yeah, it's like almost as if they knew they didn't have time to do anything with Philip Gerard in this hour, but they didn't want us to forget about it. Yeah. So they had to bring it up again.
1: There's a lot of that here. It's mm. it is it is kind of uh, filling time. Yeah. And which may be why people don't like it as much. But I actually like that what we do get here is given a little space to breathe. Hmm. And even yeah, even little scenes that that don't do that much but push the subplots forward uh, were very well acted. I'm thinking yeah. of uh, Donna and Maddie in the, in mm-hmm. the diner.
0: Yeah. I liked that scene.
1: Right. Um, some really intense acting from both Laura from both and yeah. Cheryl Lee. Yeah. Um, in a, in a scene that isn't really doing that much, but mm-hmm. you can really feel, uh, the, the fiery emotions, these yes. teenagers and
0: the conflicting emotions, because I think for from Cheryl Lee in particular, she's doing a lot of, complicated things in that scene because you can tell that she she is as she is as invested in getting to the bottom of what happened as Donna and James are but she's also kind of reaching her Patience breaking point with these people, I think. Um, yeah. If she hasn't reached it already.
1: Yeah, well, it seems like she's there to try to bury the hatchet and make right. things right uh-huh. with Donna because she's obviously torn up about it. Yes. Um, she says there's a thing going on. Mm-hmm. There's a little there's going a on. Little but going her, on. her point being, she's not making a serious attempt to come between no. James and Donna. It's just uh, it's just sort of happened. Um and, and really there's nothing mm-hmm. there is it's not yeah there's nothing much there but maybe some some feelings and a little holding yeah. um, and, and things like that but uh, Donna is overreacting maybe a little bit but then Donna says you know well Maddie, I think I can use you <laughs> right and there's a look on Maddie's face mm-hmm. that is you could interpret it in a number of ways but for me it was just like, Oh my God, like this is all I am to people here.
0: Right. She's just a tool to everyone in this town.
1: It's really sick. And I'm trying so hard to to um, to be a good person mm-hmm. and to establish, like to strengthen my relationships with people. And Donna doesn't even really care about that in this moment. No. She's back. Donna was sort of using the Harold thing to get to James. But I think at this point, or Donna's now back on the Laura train. Yeah. On the mystery train. Mm-hmm. And um, and so she's willing to to put everything aside. And wants Maddie's help. Right. And feels like she needs Maddie's help.
0: Yeah. But again, she's another person who isn't thinking about Maddie's feelings at all. Right. Nobody is.
1: Yes. Um and Donna's also kind of using Harold Smith here. Yeah. Who isn't? It's not like he's any kind of hero. He has the he has a diary that could be important evidence. Mm-hmm. He thinks it isn't. Um, but
0: he's is also insane.
1: Yes, and uh, it's true. It turns out there is nothing more to his story. Yeah. Uh, he is what he appears to be—a lonely shut-in. But Basically. Donna can't necessarily know that. No. She does seem to be attracted to him in some way, but um she Yeah, she may suspect there's more to the story. Mm-hmm. Um and at any rate she wants to get her hands on that diary. Right. Um but I wanted to back up a little bit. Okay. Talking about Tom Holland mm-hmm. and what he brings to this episode. Yeah. Uh he grounds it with a lot of Lynchisms.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's
1: almost like he was very, uh, you know, mindful of the fact that he is coming into a show with a, a set style. And maybe he's right. playing it safe, but I, I appreciate it with the traffic light, the wind in the trees.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I don't mind for a guest director to throw those in there. To, to make sure that it's a, it's twin peaksy enough.
0: Right. But there are some other interesting things that he does,
1: like point of view shots that we haven't really seen. Well, yes. Um,
0: some interesting dissolves.
1: Yeah, I like some of the dissolves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, so why don't we get into that opening scene? Yeah. Because I, really, a lot of the camera work isn't too flashy in this mm-hmm. episode, and that's fine. It doesn't call for it. But one of those POV shots is very flashy and very cool,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I really love this sequence. Mm-hmm. It's and it's um, it's it's right there in the opening. It's yeah. very jarring as you're in this tunnel, withdrawing through mm-hmm. this passageway,
0: and you hear this sort of distorted sound that feels like it could be screaming or crying or something.
1: I swear it sounds like uh, Shirley's voice. Yes. It kind of yes. sounds like the um, the bird, <laughs> Waldo.
0: It sounded like
1: doing Shirley's voice.
0: Yeah, or the bird saying Laura. Laura. Yeah, yeah. Or I, I was hearing also a little bit of Grace of Risky saying Laura.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, at any rate, it's very disturbing. Mm-hmm. And we're pulled backwards through this dark passageway with fibers on the end. It's like you're in hell. Mm hmm. And then you pull back and it's uh, it's uh, one of many holes in the, is it the ceiling or the wall?
0: I think it's the ceiling.
1: And it's you're pulled back into a point of view shot, or it's kind of intercutting, but mm-hmm. basically I took it to be that this is Leland's point of view. Yes. And, and when we see Leland's face, when it's established that, it's Leland's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of drifting almost like he was in the middle of a or like we're catching him in a 360 rotation, like he had been upside down, mm-hmm. and he's being coming back to the planet. And it the the basic function here in this episode is just to show Leland kind of dissociating with mm-hmm. shock.
0: Yeah, this is really the first time we've been fully inside Leland's head. I mean, we've seen a lot of instances of him being unstable or erratic or emotional, but this seems like the first time we're really seeing what he sees and hearing what he hears.
1: Yes. And it's very dark because you could simply interpret it as what he's feeling in the moment because he's, he's dissociating. Mm -hmm. But I, I think there's an implication that this is, this is where Leland lives. Yes, he is deep inside a tunnel, mm-hmm. always, yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: at all times. Yes, and he is always coming to people from far away.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's right.
1: And I like that it's a touch of surreal fantasy, mm-hmm. dark surrealism, maybe. Yeah, because obviously he can't look deep into the these holes with my No, like, no vision. Um so it's it's fun because point of views are sort of grounding you in a kind of reality mm-hmm. and but it can be a subjective reality. So you can put it out a focus or whatever to put you in the character's headspace. Yeah. But here the the camera trick goes off on a flight of fancy to do this thing that is impossible but yeah. is representative mm-hmm. of of Leland's inner state. Right. It's very Lynchian, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where I wonder if he—it was his idea. It's—I I never am very clear on like how involved Lynch was in the episodes. He didn't direct, other than right. I know he signed off on them. Yes. And sign off on edits and stuff.
0: Right, and you know he and Mark Frost worked together on like the overall story and right
1: things like that. So I I would actually assume this was just something tom holland cooked up or mm. maybe holland and frost yeah, i don't know but uh they did a great job yeah uh at, at this lynchian moment it kind of reminds me of uh Mohan drive mm-hmm. there's a scene where uh naomi watts is staring at the ceiling and it's mm. kind of coming in out of focus yeah because she's her eyes are her sight is focusing and unfocusing mm-hmm. um it reminds me of other sequences in movies where the camera goes through walls, or uh, is it, a, it? Maybe it's sort of like fight the Fight Club opening credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah It goes through his brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, very creative, uh, especially for the time.
0: Yeah, and I don't know whether we want to compare it to the other big POV sequence in the episode, which yes. is with Audrey when she's drugged and um, being kind of interrogated. Yeah, I think, so. I think. I think. It's very interesting to look at those two scenes together because these aren't two characters that I would instinctively compare to each other. Right. Um, They're in very different situations and they're very different people. But I think in this particular situation and in the context of the show, these are two people that everyone else has kind of forgotten about. Mm -hmm. Um, And that everyone else... Is quickly learning, maybe shouldn't have been forgotten about or written off. Right. Um, Leland, of course, will in a few episodes be revealed as the killer. Um, And this episode, too, shows how the law and the legal system are kind of treating him with kid gloves and not really taking him very seriously as a potential violent threat to anyone. And Audrey has been at one Eye Jacks for some time now. And really no one has any kind of sense of urgency in coming to get her. Um, including Cooper when he finds out he doesn't really seem to have any sense of urgency. Her father doesn't. They're both very vulnerable in this episode because of that, I think.
1: Yes. Uh, they're both powerless yes. in these scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's that uh, the POV is used to establish their feelings of powerlessness mm-hmm. and, uh, and also their disconnection with reality.
0: Yeah.
1: Audrey is being drugged mm-hmm. and it, uh, I think Sherilyn Finn's acting here is very good. Yeah, I agree. That she's, her emotions are coming from far away because mm-hmm. she's drugged, but she she's, she's out of it, but not so much that she, doesn't understand that when um uh uh when gerard not gerard um renault. when renault kills baddus mm-hmm. which is not what she wanted even right. though she wanted something to happen to baddus as revenge yeah it's another instance where she's in over her head because she um yeah, she wants revenge mm-hmm. on this guy that hit her, and she should have revenge. But then it's it's not what she expected. Yeah. It's all out of her control. Even the mm-hmm. the little thing that's in her control, which is getting revenge on this slime ball. Yeah. It's not the way she wanted. She didn't want him to be shot. Mm-hmm.
0: Which is, yeah, another parallel with Leland, who was somebody who wanted revenge uh, yeah. on um, Jacques Renault. Mm-hmm. Um But it's not working out the way he thought, maybe because he, although it's always a little unclear to me whether it's Bob or Leland who kills Jacques. I think it's Leland. Um, Whether that makes a difference, I'm not sure either.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think that when they're questioning Leland, to me, that's 100% Leland.
0: Hmm.
1: He talks about, you know, have you known loss?
0: Hmm.
1: and he phrases it in this very vague weird way
0: yeah yeah
1: total loss Hmm. that again seems to hint that it's it's there's something else going on yeah you know i think cooper says well no one here is uh a stranger to grief mm-hmm. or tragedy or whatever right. yeah <laughs> and and leland says they don't, they don't understand and it could simply mean, well, it's different if it's a child, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is true, but yeah, there's something so lost about him yeah. in this scene.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, although, you know, I say it's Leland, but then he he he's sort of lying in a way. He says, this man killed my daughter. Yeah. They ask him why he thinks that. He says, you arrested him. hmm So it's unclear how much Leland even knows himself. But yes. I, th- I think he's being sincere and talking about loss.
0: Well, what has he lost? He's lost Laura. He's lost himself.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's, that's the extra bit. hmm That's the totality well, of it. Right. It's not losing someone else. It's yourself.
0: He's not... Leland anymore. I mean like soon we'll find out that that's quite literal but on a metaphorical level it works too. Yeah. That's what something so traumatic does to you and it turns you into a different person.
1: Yeah it's a very haunting scene and I think that's another example of Twin Peaks being almost two different shows Mm -hmm. because it's a touching scene the first time around. Yes. Of a father caught up in his grief but it's so much more meaningful. Mhm. I agree. The second time around when you know mm-hmm. just really how much he's lost. He's yeah. lost his humanity. Yeah. His his um, his love for his daughter has been
0: completely corrupted. Yeah, corrupted. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, that's a great scene. It and, and just that scene and, and a couple of other touches to me um, really pull the episode together, Mm -hmm. otherwise maybe, yeah, is it a little lackluster? Could be, but I know, I I was pretty hooked on this episode.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: So, yeah, why don't we, yeah, why don't we get into Cooper and what he gets into. Okay. So.
0: He's recruited by Ben
1: yeah, and I want to I want to ground this conversation in maybe a broader question mm-hmm. of how how Twin Peaks views the law, yeah, because yeah, we've talked fair. about it a bit, and i I wonder if I went too far in saying that the bookhouse boys are a right wing militia.
0: I disagree. I think they are a right wing militia.
1: but uh, I'm interested in how Twin Peaks feels about mm-hmm. about it. Because we, so I think this theme first comes up when Doc Hayward and Cooper are talking in the hall Mm. after they've talked to Leland Mm -hmm. or outside of the holding cell,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and 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 Doc Hayward is kind of sympathetic, saying no one should, no parent
0: should bury their child, child.
1: and Cooper is very stern with him. Mm you know, is murder wrong or not.
0: Right, and that's interesting.
1: Yes, and not that he's wrong. Mm. Um, It does feel like a very conservative note because uh, Doc Hayward isn't saying there's an excuse. He's saying, well, but... Almost like saying, uh, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. In the right circumstances, under the right strain, maybe... Maybe anyone could do something like this. Right.
0: And Hayward was brought in to evaluate Leland's mental state. Um, that's true. And what he's essentially saying is that this is what something like the murder of your child does to a human brain. Yes. It just scrambles it.
1: Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah. that That's explicitly what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Doc Hayward is saying you need a psych evaluation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to find out if he's competent to stand trial. Right. And that's the context. And Cooper is, is saying, well, the law is the law.
0: Yeah, right.
1: And it's not, even, it's not even really apropos of what Doc Hayward was saying, other than to say, I guess, to assert, um, to, to police people's sympathy. Mm-hmm so that you don't even go down the road yeah. of saying well maybe this guy should maybe we let him off this one yeah. which is not even why doc maybe saying, it's
0: but, okay that he did this because um, anybody would have done it
1: or cooper is actually saying that he doesn't he doesn't think that it matters whether leland was whether in, his right, mind. Or in right. his right mind
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, because he committed murder right and isn't that very interesting how Cooper is all about law and order here, mm-hmm. but then he he lets Truman talk to Josie alone. yes, we see how well that goes in this episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it goes great for josie
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then and then Cooper calls on the bookhouse Boys to help him uh in this uh. Well, to to deliver the money. Yes. For Audrey.
0: hmm
1: Which in itself, I guess, isn't illegal for him to do this on his off time. To. Well, I mean. But b- bringing in the bookhouse boy suggests that there's going to be some shit going down.
0: Yes, and he's crossing international
1: borders with the money oh, to that's do true. it.
0: But, I mean, yeah. he doesn't know that though. Yet he doesn't know that Audrey's at One Eight Jacks.
1: Yes, but he
0: for some reason.
1: Yeah, but the way he, he talks to Truman, he says, mm-hmm. you don't need to know about this. Yeah. It's clear that he is breaking the rules in his own mind.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: So it's interesting. Uh, and then we have the judge.
0: hmm Judge uh, Sternwood.
1: Sternwood.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Such a great name. Yep, yeah, very Dickens yes. sort of name. yes. And okay. he's great.
0: Yeah, I think Royal Dano in this role is really great. He's mm-hmm. only in this episode and the next one, but he makes a really strong impression.
1: Yes, he's very kind to Lucy. He's
0: kind of old man Cooper.
1: I think so. Mm-hmm. And, and I
0: think that's on purpose.
1: Yeah, well, Truman even says, you two should have a lot in common.
0: Right, right. But I think he's like Cooper would be with more experience of the world and maybe a more realistic... View of it, like Cooper says something about Twin Peaks being like heaven to him,
1: and Stern would list all of the crimes that have been committed. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, in he, like one week, right? He he knows Twin Peaks is in heaven. It's just yes. a place.
1: Yeah, and he says to Lucy, "Well, we don't have as many problems here as other people in other places, so that, he can kind of right. See,
0: he can see a balanced view, but that he knows that doesn't mean that those problems aren't real or that they don't matter."
1: yes so it, it's interesting uh he he is like cooper he's an establishment figure mm-hmm. um, but he's eccentric he also like cooper has his own spirituality mm-hmm. uh, his oddball spirituality yes which is i guess he uh, it's a follower of north uh, of like mm-hmm. odinic
0: <laughs> yes
1: viking mythology right
0: he and Leland will have a drink in valhalla <laughs>
1: That's a great little speech because mm-hmm. it's, it's touching and then it ends. It ends weird. It ends weirdly. And so you're not sure whether it's just a rhetorical way of talking or mm-hmm. he actually, this is what he believes. Right. That, uh, everything in life is, is just a, a stage and we're acting our parts, mm-hmm. which is kind of similar to, yeah, it, it's funny because it sounds more like the Eastern mm-hmm. philosophy we get sometimes in the show, but then it turns out to be about Valhalla.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, but yeah, so Sternwood is, yeah, a little more experienced and clear-eyed about Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, but his, his approach to the law is interesting. He is sort of uh, siding with Cooper. Hmm. In his speech, in that he says, um, "You know, I'm sorry, but we're not really, you know, we're not going to just let you off the hook just because of who you are."
0: Right. But he's much kinder to Leland, and he's nicer with about him, it right? Than he would be. Mm-hmm. Because Leland is not like other killers; he's one of them.
1: Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, yeah. On the one hand, in that the 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 import of the scene is that he's Leland's not getting bail.
0: Yeah, at least not right now.
1: Which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not they're not treating him. Uh, they're not giving him special treatment. Yeah, really. But at the same time, yeah, they're not looking. They're still thinking of him as the grieving father, mm-hmm. and also as. Yeah, it's weird because it's like they can't see, it's almost like the idea, the the sympathy, Mm -hmm. the sympathetic view of him Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that he's just like anyone else. He was under a lot of strain, Mm -hmm. which maybe you could say is a more liberal or progressive viewpoint as opposed to the law is the law that Cooper was saying. In a way, that turns out to be the Mm smokescreen because it's because their starting assumption is that he he's just like us yeah and they're not wrong it's more like their problem isn't in thinking that Leland is good because he's like us and we're good Mm -hmm. the problem is they they don't realize that they should treat that Leland is no better or worse than any other defendant
0: exactly because they're no
1: better or worse Mm -hmm. just because they're in his social class Mm -hmm. yeah to put it another way they all think that Leland is better than the usual criminal defendant Mm -hmm. because of who he is Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're giving themselves a pat on the back for treating him the same even though they think he's better
0: yeah right
1: when in fact Leland's done something much, much worse Mm -hmm. than the average criminal defendant that comes before Judge Sternwood in this small town. Someone on a drunken disorderly or who, yeah, was caught in possession or whatever. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a side effect of what someone like Cooper and Sternwood too probably sees as the good thing about Twin Peaks, which is that everybody knows each other. There's one doctor, there's one lawyer, they're all friends. What that means is that things get ignored. Mm -hmm. The violence of someone like Leland gets ignored because you can understand it when he does it. He's everybody's friend. He's just reacting to something terrible. Whereas some other, you know, poor drug user comes before the judge. Well, he's a criminal.
1: Right. Yes. And so even though Judge Sternwood is a little more clear eyed than Cooper,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he's still not able to rise above that. Yeah. But it's, on the other hand, it's clear that, that the show and its creators really do love Judge Sternwood. Oh, yeah. And they love Cooper. For sure. And they love Truman. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, yeah, I think that's true. I do think that one of the, I keep saying side effects, but a side effect of the fact that they probably just didn't want to build a courtroom set right gives all of the legal proceedings in this episode and the one to come a sort of casual quality mm-hmm. that I think works for the story being told because it's it kind of makes it seem like they're not prepared for this and they are treating it casually. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Another way that Leland isn't a criminal like other criminals is that he doesn't have to go to court. He the judge comes to him.
1: Yeah, well, it emphasizes the how this is a small town and that mm-hmm. there isn't a really a strong distinction between Yeah the the legitimate court and the court of public opinion Mm -hmm. that you're really just on trial in front of the whole town
0: yeah exactly and the
1: whole town is judging you Mm
0: -hmm. yeah
1: yeah i think that's right um so yeah there's there's real love for these characters Mm -hmm. but I, i think that that love isn't incompatible with critique no or, not at or all. complexity at mm-hmm. least
0: yeah absolutely
1: as yeah as even sternwood is sort of a corrective to cooper mm-hmm. you know we don't ha- then have to take sternwood as authoritative no um, because he says right out i know you're a decent man Ewan.
0: yes yes
1: when he say that after he finds out well, all right. did.
0: yeah and he knows Leland is a decent man because Leland has appeared in his courtroom as part of the system that he's a part of too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're they're in the same class. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and Leland is well spoken and intelligent, educated, mm-hmm. professional. Yeah, probably. Um, probably good at probably. He's very discreet.
0: Yeah, I'm sure Leland is a great lawyer. He wouldn't be Ben Horn's lawyer if he wasn't.
1: Yeah, and and this is not to imply that Judge Turner could have known what Leland was doing, Mm -hmm. but the assumption is, well, he's nice to me.
0: Yes. And
1: I've never seen him do anything bad. Right. Ah, therefore I know.
0: Yeah, and it's all all, about
1: what goes on behind closed doors.
0: Right, it's all of a piece with the fact that this town can look at a girl like Laura who comes from a good professional upper middle class home and has everything going for her. And they can see what her life actually looked like, which is she was using lots of drugs. She was miserable. She was sleeping with lots of people. She was involved in lots of crime. She was brutally murdered. Um, And nobody ever thinks, well, what was going on at home?
1: Yeah,
0: No one ever thinks that. No one ever thinks, what was her father doing that night?
1: Yeah, well, that's... it. It's the veil of privacy drawn around the domestic sphere.
0: Yes, especially the bourgeois upper middle class. Well, of
1: course, of course, it's Mm -hmm. it's a like any right, you know it. It's it mainly helps a certain group of people. The lower class people uh, in Twin Peaks don't have any privacy, as we've talked about.
0: Right, Shelley's house is literally
1: see through. See through, Mm -hmm. and the police are always there. Yep. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's the 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 domestic sphere is a zone of privacy that we say we uphold, but of course uphold selectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way it's upheld for uh, for the Palmers, it means uh, it creates the situation where we don't look into behind closed doors. Yeah. So we and then we turn around and judge people by how they are outside of closed doors yeah, and say, well, of course Leland's a decent man. He's always decent, except for in that zone of privacy, which I will not interrogate.
0: Yeah. And it makes it even more interesting when you think about the fact that Maddie is in this episode. Maddie was there when Leland was arrested in the last episode, but she never brings it up.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. In her
0: conversation with Donna. Leland is, you know, spending the night in jail. How's Sarah doing? What is Sarah doing? Yes.
1: Does she know that her
0: husband is in jail for murdering someone?
1: No, that's that's good because
0: no nobody thinks to ask those questions because nobody yes. is thinking, huh? What is happening in the Palmer House?
1: No, that's great because you know the real answer is probably well we couldn't get Grace Brisky. Me- yeah, or well I was thinking the script is a mess.
0: Well, that's true, but also we couldn't get Grace Brisky for this episode.
1: Yeah, um, but they could have had Maddie comment on it, sure, of it like. Um, yeah, I guess it, maybe it's sort of, uh, I guess you could say that it's in the background of her scene with Donna, mm-hmm. but...
0: Right, there, it, there is a little bit of that. She has the air of thinking, oh my god, another thing yes. that I have to deal with. When am I going to go back to Missoula already?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, you know, probably they they maybe would have filled in some of those details uh, with mm-hmm. a better first draft, but but it works perfectly yes. because, yeah, it's like no one knows or cares what goes on. No, whatever, Leland,
0: whatever Leland did, it is a discreet, isolated incident. It's right. not connected to anything that's going on in his family. Right. It's not connected to anything that might have gone on in his family in the past. It doesn't affect the women in the family at all. It's just, it's just Leland.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's why we set off the domestic sphere mm-hmm. and say, uh, you know, the law doesn't penetrate here because it has nothing to do with anything. Yes. Nothing that goes on. Yes. In that house. It has anything to do with society.
0: Leland is a good person because of his public life. Exactly. Because of his public professional life as an attorney, as an officer of the court, as someone with professional connections.
1: Yeah, and that's all you need to know.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Um. Do you wanna point out the character of Sid?
0: Yeah, I wish we saw more. Certainly in Sid. a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm.
1: But Cooper is obviously smitten, and I, I thought, man, why didn't they bring her back? To be his non
0: Audrey be- love interest. Yes. I know, I know. His age
1: appropriate love interest.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she seemed cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's it does seem like she and Judge Sternwood are being set up for much longer character arcs than they ultimately get. Which is interesting. Yeah.
1: Also, uh, this actor uh, went out with Simon LeBon.
0: Oh. Okay. Yeah, good for her. Good for her. <laughs> <laughs> he had great '80s hair.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So why don't we talk about why don't we talk about Laura and Harold a little bit more? You I mean, Donna and Harold. Oh yes. I wrote Laura right here in my notes. Well,
0: it is always about Laura It's always too. about Laura, mm-hmm. of course. Laura is the one.
1: Um, well, and, yeah, and and it is also about her because they're reading from her diary. Yes. Um, I thought that the diary uh, entry was a little anticlimactic, almost, mm-hmm. Did it didn't really tell us anything else. I'm sure at the time, it was a big deal to have any scrap of the secret diary in there. So the book, the and there. Se- is was a dead book.
0: Back- yes, the secret diary of Laura Palmer, yes. Um,
1: this is probably in the book somewhere.
0: Right, I haven't read it, but we should read it and then do an episode about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a little bit of confirmation that while Laura had a lot of love for Donna, she basically saw her as an innocent, dumb kid uh, much like how she's yeah. like
1: James, yeah. But she's also afraid to lose her mm-hmm. to yeah. show Donna who she really is. Yes, and that I think that certainly tracks. That's good characterization that mm-hmm. we see. Uh, uh, we see pretty thoroughly in Firewalk with Me, and also right. there's a hint of her wanting to protect Donna. Yes, yeah, and I think kind of thing.
0: that's really important in Firewalk with Me too
1: yeah so laura has dreams of big big men and the different ways they might hold her and take her into their control yes um i'm not sure how to feel about this Mm -hmm. i think by modern standards the the response would be well so what like that's maybe that's not maybe that's normal Mm -hmm. and then you could say you know poor laura she was thinking that normal sexuality was uh, must be shameful because she has it and she's ashamed of herself. Right. Um, but I think in this context, it's probably more something like she has these fantasies because of her trauma.
0: And maybe she has, yeah, some masochistic impulses because, yes, because of her trauma, because she wants to achieve some kind of self-negation.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes these touches uh, about Laura um, make me slightly uncomfortable because it yeah. almost seems like they're treading into what she wanted. She wanted all these things. Yeah. And by the time you see Firewall with me, I think it's clear it's not the case. No,
0: no, not at all.
1: Um, and that's actually what very well done mm-hmm. because they could have gone in that direction. but they what happened to her was so awful and traumatic that it really there's nothing once you know there's nothing that she could have done afterwards where you'd think, "Ah, oh, how dare she
0: right?" Yeah, <laughs> I think that's true.
1: Um, but yeah, she's she wants to be um, in someone else's control. Mm-hmm. And obviously she is in someone else's control. Yeah, and, and so it's sort of a...
0: And I think, you know, um, I don't remember if it's ever confirmed in the show, but in Firewalk With Me it is, that the abuse she's been getting from Bob slash Leland has been happening since she was about 12 years old, which yes. is extremely young. And I think... I think we can sort of understand that Lara's understanding of sexuality is so intrinsically yes. tied up with... Horrific abuse. That yeah. it's like Lara has never even had the chance to figure out what she actually likes out of sex.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah. And it, yeah. And now that I read this quote again, what's interesting is it's sort of uh, you 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 infer that these are her desire. These are her this, her fantasies. Mm-hmm. What she desires. Yeah. But she never actually says that. No. She just says that she's full of dreams of these men that, and the different ways they might hold her and take her into their control. Mm -hmm. There's actually nothing in there about her wanting this. Her wanting
0: it. Right, that's a good point. I mean,
1: she doesn't say nightmares. No. But maybe the the line is blurred here. Right. Yes, for exactly the reasons you say that Mm -hmm. she, she all of her, yeah, her sexual desire is now all filtered.
0: yeah. Which is not to say that people who have been sexually abused have broken sexualities inherently or anything like that. I don't want to imply that, but Laura is still a kid uh, when she dies and she hasn't had any opportunity for any kind of healing process or any, any better experience really. That's what's so sad about it.
1: Yes. Yeah. There's a way that Twin Peaks pretty consistently connects, um, connects aberrant sexuality to trauma mm-hmm. which is uh yeah maybe a little old-fashioned yeah um kind of a, a radfin
0: <laughs> maybe maybe mm-hmm. uh,
1: view, viewpoint of you know why would laura want you know think about you know being dominated in a sexual way
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's got to be trauma yeah um or yes and that um you know, you're on the risk of almost reducing her to her trauma. Yes. Um. Which, again, Fire Walk with Me is one of the best movies ever made because there's all these mines in the minefield that mm-hmm. just it just floats over. Yes. By showing you, even though that's all about her trauma, mm-hmm. it's all about her humanity yeah, in the exactly. face of trauma.
0: Exactly, and her strength. Yes. Too
1: uh so yeah um that's about it for laura or for donna laura and harold mm-hmm.
0: um the eternal trio
1: i really thought that the scene where donna tells her story is in this episode
0: yeah it's in the next one but that is a great scene so we can talk yeah
1: about it. so this is another sort of uh moment where it feels like we're killing time yeah right um but that's fine uh it was a nice little scene and it pushes mm, that storyline yeah.
0: forward harold wasn't too annoying
1: no um yeah i almost think i was i had low expectations for some of these storylines because i remember how they turned out Mm -hmm. and then actually none of them were annoying to me in this episode
0: yeah that's true Uh,
1: i liked lucy's uh confrontation of dick tremaine yes who
0: (laughs) is such a bag of
1: crap (laughs) yeah he's really awful
0: yeah yeah
1: Because he he thought it over and has decided that he really treated her horribly and he wants to make it up to her.
0: By giving her money for an abortion. Abortion. Mm -hmm. Which he, of course, cannot say because this is 90s TV but also he's a dick. It's one of those instances where uh, television censorship and characterization works. Because I totally believe that Dick Dick Tremaine would be too much of a Dick to yes. actually say the words, I want you to get an abortion. Here's some money for it.
1: Yes. Yeah, you he want to sort of take care of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, what, what does he give her? Like 300 something dollars? Yeah,
0: all he has. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Was that even enough at that time?
0: I don't. I, it might de- have been enough. Depends but... on where you go. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I like, I like the idea of how, on, of, of on top of the shittiness of, of offering her an unsolicited abortion, mm-hmm. that it also wasn't enough money. <laughs>
0: yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, well, he's not going to sell his car. So she that. she
1: she tells him off, and she even admits to Cooper
0: mm-hmm. that
1: um, she never really she never really liked him. Yeah, it's just the the trappings,
0: and he was so different, and
1: she just thought Andy uh, was you know a little basic and. Mm -hmm. She wants a guy with a little style.
0: Yeah, who takes good care of himself.
1: And she hasn't yet figured out that, you know, that that's not... uh, Those aren't the important
0: things. Yes. Yes.
1: And maybe Andy can grow a little bit with time. Mm -hmm. Um, What does she say, Andy? He doesn't have a sports coat or...
0: Uh, He never washes his car. Right. (laughs) What else does she say?
1: You say something about his hygiene?
0: Yeah or yeah.
1: something, or his mm-hmm. hair.
0: Right. I don't know. Not moisturizing,
1: something like that. <laughs> right. But... <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a Sikami uh, scene mm-hmm. um, where we're kind of looking down on these characters who are stupid, uh, yes. but that's fine. I, I liked it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, let's see. We've talked about Audrey. Yes, um, her storyline just seems to drag on and on.
0: Yeah, and I, it seems very inorganic. Like it, I mean, Ben is bad, so it sort of makes sense that Ben is not really rushing out to protect his own child. Um, but, yeah, nobody seems to care. Like, has the school called, and said your daughter hasn't been coming in? What's going on? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I just assume she doesn't go to school at this point.
0: Yeah, maybe. We did not seen and, any of
1: these characters in school.
0: In the beginning of the series we did, but increasingly I mean, we the, like, don't know. Uh,
1: yeah, I guess she, yeah.
0: They seem to have unlimited time. The
1: last time was in the bathroom with Donna. Right. I think it's the last time we saw her in a school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that Cooper... I don't I don't get that he doesn't have a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. I think up to this point, maybe he just didn't have any leads,
0: which is a little right. hard to
1: believe. And it's he's so resourceful.
0: Why isn't Ben saying, hey, she's at one-eyed jacks? Well because he doesn't want Cooper to know that he owns one eyed jacks.
1: No, because the deal with uh Jack Renault.
0: Right. Jean
1: Renault. Jean Renault mm-hmm. is uh, yeah, Michael Parks. The, the deal with Jacques wait, Jean. Jean, Jesus, how many of these Renaults are there?
0: Like a dozen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the deal with Jean Renault is that he's going to hand over Cooper.
0: Right, right.
1: Because Jean Renault wants revenge.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: but, uh, he wants to take revenge on the man that, although Cooper didn't kill his brother, but maybe, I don't know.
0: Helped arrest his brother.
1: Yes. He wants revenge. He's mad. Yeah. So that's the deal. So that's so so Ben is plotting here. Yeah, he can't tell Cooper everything. He wants Cooper to fall into a trap. Right. Right. Because Cooper is not just delivering the money, he is also part of the delivery.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Cooper is smart enough to have some kind of sense that something's not right. and that's yeah. why he wants mm-hmm. support from the bookhouse boys. Right. which turns out to be Truman mm-hmm. himself. Even yeah. though he offered Truman a chance to not get involved mm-hmm. for some reason, why would Truman care about getting involved in extra legal activity? He's never cared before. No. <laughs> but it's a nice uh, friendship. Mm-hmm. It's a nice bro moment. Yeah, sure. for them at, uh, at the roadhouse mm-hmm. as Truman comes and says, I'm I'm your Huckleberry, basically.
0: Yeah. right. Right.
1: Um, so yeah, I mean, he's he's moving forward. To try to get Audrey back. Uh-huh. But it does kind of seem like they didn't know. They, they were drawing it out a little bit.
0: Like,
1: mm-hmm. um, like it could happen a lot quicker.
0: Right. They wanted things to go down at the same time later on. Like the yes. various revelations about what was happening.
1: Yeah, it's hard to get the timing right, mm-hmm. and to synchronize everything. And right. Like Jerry Stahl, he did his best. <laughs> Because he was a hard script to write.
0: I'm sure it was. I'm sure it
1: was. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Um, it's getting drawn out, and yet I do think that Audrey's scene was pretty good, mm-hmm. pretty strong.
0: Mm-hmm. And it,
1: we've already covered it, so we don't have to go into too much more detail. But right. But some nice acting as she's crying crying because of this murder she's witnessed, mm-hmm. but then also I think crying over her whole situation. Yeah. She suddenly has enough clarity um, and she's very vulnerable here and mm-hmm. being comforted by this this sinister father figure mm-hmm. whose comfort is is poisonous. His comfort is no comfort at all. Yes. Um, which seems thematically appropriate for Twin Peaks.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially since as we've talked about, Audrey is kind of going on a mirror image of Laura's journey.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. And she's, yeah, and she now she's she's tied up the way Laura was.
0: hmm
1: Yeah, and, and the very person that, the only person that is there to comfort her is her captor, who doesn't yeah. give a shit about
0: her. Exactly.
1: Or he, ca- he cares about her only as something of value.
0: Mm-hmm, which is also what her father thinks. That's
1: exactly about. what her father said. Yeah. He used the word value. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, yeah, pretty messed up. Continues to be a messed up storyline. And
0: her father, you know, again, speaks of her in sort of inappropriately sexual terms. Um, kind of obliquely in this episode. Obviously, in previous ones, he almost had sex with her, not knowing who she was. But in this one, he makes references to Cooper's relationship with Audrey, um, and kind of hints that it's illicit or inappropriate. Right. I think because he wants Cooper to. Go along with what he's asking and not ask too many questions about it. Yeah, it's like sort of mild blackmail.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, so I think that's about it for that storyline. Mm-hmm. I think the other big story here is the food critic. Yes, the <laughs> most important, the most important well, element. Well,
0: it is. It is kind of important in sort of tying things together and also, I don't know, is it thematically important in that it's an episode about people not noticing it right in front of them or mistaking it for something else?
1: Yes, and it's about not knowing who someone is. Yes, yeah. No one knows what the food critic looks like Mm -hmm. in real life. Yep. No one knows what Bob looks like in real life. Mm Mm-hmm. And any any and it could be anyone. Yeah. So anyone could be the food critic. Anyone could be the devil.
0: Right. And a charitable interpretation also is that it gives people an excuse for not recognizing Catherine Martell in racist Japanese drag because they're expecting this food critic <laughs> to show up in disguise. So they see someone in obvious disguise and yes. they think, oh, it's the food critic.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know that they should recognize her. Honestly, I didn't the first time I watched this. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, I was watching on my laptop and uh-huh. maybe wasn't paying that much attention to those scenes. Sure. But it's obviously someone in disguise. It's not a real uh it's not an actual Japanese man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's sure not. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think uh I'm trying to be charitable and read those scenes. Where they just think, oh, this is, the, yeah, the food critic in disguise. Right. And and we'll talk more about Mr. Tojimura
0: mm-hmm.
1: in later episodes. Yes. Uh, but no, the, the other big part of it is well, is um, Josie and Jonathan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think there's actually some good acting from Joan Chen here. yeah. As we start to see that we already know she's a femme fatale. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows.
0: Yeah, everybody knows. And here she comes.
1: So, uh, but we're starting to learn more about her backstory and that she's not just in it for herself, mm-hmm. but is, she has her own employer mm-hmm. and her own cohorts and right. um, is part of some kind of criminal activity in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan he is here to make sure that everything is going right and to take her back. Right. Uh, With a sizable amount of
0: money. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, I want to shout out Mac Ticano. Mac Ticano. Mm -hmm. He's quite good. Uh, Yeah. um, yeah, I think he's very good in this role. He's very menacing. Mm -hmm. And uh, the show has done a good job so far of introducing a villain and then showing someone scarier. Mm. (laughs) And I think that this is another iteration of that. Yeah that hey Hank... I
0: totally believe he could beat Hank
1: well that's great that's why he's such a great actor because mm-hmm. Hank is much taller than him yes um, that that's that actor is tall in general and then uh, Macticano is a bit shorter mm-hmm. and yet he has such presence
0: yeah and I think the fight scene between them is really well done
1: yeah it's cool they almost make uh, Jonathan a supernatural figure you mm-hmm. uh, um, you know he's there all of a sudden outside the window in the storm mm-hmm. earlier mm-hmm. and then in the fight with hank it's dark and it's edited very cleverly so you never you're never sure exactly where he is yeah and hank's never sure he's punching at the air basically mm-hmm. um i don't know i don't know it's a little racist that we assume that jonathan must know martial arts
0: probably a little bit yeah. <laughs> but so does hank
1: he does some like that's true a pretty nice spinning kick all of a sudden mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep. So this is a slightly silly scene, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I did like it.
0: Yeah, same.
1: And it's silly, but yeah, because McDicado is actually scary, and he is—he uh, beats up Hank. He makes him blood brothers the way that Hank did to try to um,
0: intimidate Josie. Intimidate
1: Josie. Mm-hmm. And so, in a way, we're our loyalties are starting to shift because maybe maybe we want Jonathan to beat up Hank. Yeah. Hank's a scumbag. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and he says, next time, I'll take your head off. And then brings the flashlight down in a very dramatic way.
0: Yeah, that was cool.
1: Yeah, it's a very cool scene. So, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I did just have another thought about the opening scene. Let's hear it. Leland is trapped, and this wall is the barrier keeping him in. And it's like he is trying to escape through the wall. Hmm. He's tried to escape through the wall, but- Yeah. uh, And given, you know, what we know about Bob,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, it's almost like Bob was trying to leap out of his body Hmm. through the wall. I I don't know, probably not literally. I think think Bob has to kill him to leave his body, it seems like, but it's almost like some part of Leland was trying to get out and it's just pulled slowly. Hmm. Yeah. slowly back through the wall
0: mm-hmm. or the
1: ceiling uh, in this case.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think that's a good point.
1: Uh, but yeah, I think this is a good one.
0: I think so too. I enjoyed this episode.
1: All right, well.
0: We'll see you in a couple of weeks for episode five, which also yep. has lots of great stuff in it. So for now take care. We wish you nothing but the very best in all things.
1: Yep. Bye bye.
0: Bye. Thanks so much for listening. We are expecting to release new episodes of It's Not About the Bunny every two weeks. So if you like what you've heard, and you want to keep listening, please subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a nice rating and review. If you don't like what you're hearing, that's cool. But please, please keep it to yourself.
1: Bye. Oh, mares eat oats, and does eat oats and little lambs eat ivy, I eat ivy too, wouldn't you? Now if the words sound queer, and funny to your ear, a little bit tumble and ivy. say, mares eat oats, and does eat
0: oats, and little lambs eat ivy.
1: I'm back. Back and ready.